Hello, and welcome to Humanitarian AI Today, a podcast series produced by the Humanitarian AI Meetup Groups in San Francisco, Cambridge, New York City, London, Toronto, and Zurich. This week, we're interviewing individuals participating in Neo4j's Graphs for Good, a hackathon which wraps up this month. And we're very, very excited to introduce a couple of collaborators, Sean Griffin, who's here with us. He's founder of Disaster Tech and his collaborator, Leo Mayerovich, who's also here. He's founder and CEO of Graphistry, and they're collaborating on Project Domino. Welcome to Humanitarian AI today, and thanks so much for making time to chat to us. So we thought our members would be interested in hearing your project. Can you tell us a bit about it and your background and what excites you about Project Domino? Sean, would you like to start and tell us a bit about you, and then we'd love to hear from you, Leo, as well. Thanks. Yeah, so my name is Sean Griffin. I'm the founder and chief executive officer of Disaster Tech. Mm-hmm. We're a public benefit company that really at the intersection of data science and decision science to help resolve challenges before, during, and after disasters. Mm-hmm. And we've been teaming with Graphistry for some time, really trying to leverage our collective tools to benefit humanity in a very positive way. You know, whereas we're moving tech, not just using technology and big data for selling ads on the internet, which has its space in the world, but really leveraging technology, data, graph analytics, GPUs, high performance computing to solve real world uh, humanitarian challenges to include misinformation, which is where Project Domino sits at the intersection. Uh, But in my background, I served on White House staff. I was director for incident management policy on the National Security Council in the White House. And, you know, as it relates to misinformation, Uh, During my tenure on on White House staff, we uh, pushed a new policy, Cyber Incident Coordination Policy, or PPD-41, Presidential Policy Directive 41, which became very relevant and timely as we stood up the first unified coordination group uh, for cyber incident response as it related to the 2016 election. Uh, I don't need to opine about how cyber and cyber criminals were trying to and successfully had exploited and undermined our own democracy uh, through modern weapons in cyberspace in the 2016 election. You know, wow. the, bottom, the bottom line is that we're in a new space. We have a we have a sort of a new frontier where the cyber domain and cyberspace is being exploited by nation states as well as bad actors in the basement to not only undermine the confidence of the public as it relates to things like elections, but specifically on on issues of pandemics an infectious disease, putting out bad information, bad medical advice to push people where in fact they could get them killed or significantly harmed. Um, So we teamed together disaster tech and graphistry to build some novel techniques, uh, leveraging graph analytics and Twitter data uh, primarily, but also other uh, internet social media data to be able to understand where the misinformation is coming from and to provide inf- uh, indicators as well as interdiction and the ability to thwart or uh, eliminate misinformation where it's happening in local communities, and then providing tools and techniques to provide local communities, particularly ones that are most vulnerable and most at risk, to ensure that they have the right data, authoritative data, by agencies like the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, not some of this you know, interesting, and harmful information that's popping up around the internet, 
but to provide the right tools, the right information, scientific evidence-based information to those communities so they can protect themselves and reduce risk ultimately uh, to those that are most vulnerable. That sounds so incredibly important and it'd be really interesting to see how it's all plugged in and how you, you, know, you share yeah, the tech that makes us interpret objectively, you know, as opposed to the misinformation part. And then over to you, Leo, please share about your collaboration here and Graphistry and how, how you got into Project Domino and, and what excites you about, you know, this collaboration. Yeah, so um, Leo Myrovich, uh, the CEO and founder over at Graphistry. Um, so we spun out of Berkeley actually a little while ago now. So I was kind of at the beginning of the, the GPU analytics revolution. So our lab was one of the first, uh, like one of our lab members went to Google to start uh, GPUs for deep learning, for example. And we were actually doing GPUs for all sorts of stuff. And so one right. of the things we're looking at was the broader data pipeline. So I actually encouraged members to look at something called rapids.ai, for example, which is a, help, a project we helped start over at NVIDIA um, based off of Graphistry and NSF technology for end-to-end -end GPU computing. Over at Graphistry, uh, we've been trying to push GPUs basically for the full data pipeline. We happen to do a lot on the graph side, which kind of brings us into the graphs for good world, where we ended up, we end up being a visual platform. We were trying to make it very easy for people to kind of explore not just graph data, but just high dimensional data, lots of rows, lots of columns. And as part of our, our mission to, to kind of bring that to just make that part of easily handling high dimensional data for basically any analyst, we've been getting involved in different uh, basically data for good projects. Uh, another one I want to point out while we're here is the Global Emancipation Network, where we help a bit with uh, anti-human trafficking, which is wow. increasingly mm -hmm. has a, a big digital component. Um, so, so moving over to, to Project Domino, uh, the Graphistry side um, came out of essentially we were actually looking at mis election misinformation on um, actually for the 2020 elections, both the bad activity, both on the Republican and Democratic side, I'll, I'll say that, and also in, uh, foreign actors. And part of what we were looking at was how that was surfacing on social media networks. As soon as uh, COVID hit, we were already, like we actually, we were doing some genetics works beforehand, so we already were thinking about public health. And it, it was a very quick transition to say, hey, well, if we could find this for folks trying to thwart and kind of steer American elections. What could we do about COVID? And, uh, and I think uh, Sean had pulled out, what was the WHO quote that you were uh, talking about um, yesterday? Right, this isn't just an epidemic. At the time it was an epidemic before it was claimed pandemic. Mm. This is also an infodemic. Um, so the head of the World Health Organization, WHO, is claiming this to be an infodemic. You know, the fact is we don't just have the propagation of an infectious disease, a novel infectious disease in coronavirus disease 19, but we also have a new novel strain, and that's misinformation in cyberspace attacking communities at the heart of these communities where they're most vulnerable, right? Yeah, because maybe a, a way to, like, as soon as you kind of brought that one up, like, what jumped to my mind was essentially on the, you know, the, the six-month view, the 18-month view is let's get, let's figure out a cure, let's figure out a vaccine, let's industrialize the vaccine, let's get the vaccine out. Maybe nearer term, we can get more PPE. Like my wife's a doctor, this is a daily issue. We're always like, you know, she got tested yesterday. You know, it's a, a very near and dear concern. Mm. But then when I look at it as like, you know, as a citizen, as a as business leader, as somebody who gets to, to work with some influential folks, the reality is 
until that six month, 18 month point, the, the most impactful thing that um, basically anybody could doing individual or a leader is essentially behavior change. And that's, that's the only way we're basically going to like contain this, slow it down, save lives, prevent overrun. And then, so that's really where project domino came around is like the, the way we talk about it is um, kind of like two directions. One is essentially the kind of the, the intuitive one is can we stop the bad information and, and not necessarily from a view of censorship, but for example, instead of Twitter trending everything, can we help them provide or Facebook or Google or whatever, could we help them provide signals so that before, um, if something gets flagged before it trends, maybe they could slow down the trending and give it a bit more time to kind of go through their, their um, trust and safety systems. Mm. So but, can I just ask, yeah. how would you plug that in? Like Brent and I were chatting earlier, yeah. you know, what does it take to specifically, you know, um, figure out misinformation? What is the misinformation here? And yeah. how do you then translate it onto Twitter, social media, and then into a graph? Yeah, so, so there's two two sides of this. The, I, I could talk about the data side, and then Sean, maybe you talk a bit about like uh, the different kinds of interventions we're thinking for the outside world. So, for from the data perspective, um, we, we've been kind of bucketing into different different ways of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And and also, I'm going to be clear here: we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. There's actually a great community here, and we're able to kind of leverage ideas and, and people and volunteers and from from elsewhere, and even data. So for, for when we look at it, um, there's a few ways. Sometimes it's just authoritative. So for example, for clinical disinformation, uh, a lot of the rumors that are going around, it's about stuff that there isn't even a clinical trial registered. Yeah. And, and, and like, if there's not even a clinical trial registered, that's not even saying it's a good clinical trial. There isn't a clinical trial, you know, and it's not even it's running. It's not even registered. That's probably not good information to be spreading around. So for example, we're, that's kind of, good data that's relevant to the campaigns we're tracking that we're tracking. And then the other side, there's like, we, there's kind of like known bad. And so for example, uh, there's been a big uptick in digital crime. Um, so Sean and I were just talking about, I think 350% uptick in phishing scams. And so that's stuff where there's just kind of known information there. And then we can kind of tra- like figure out how that translates to um, uh, social networks. The trickier part is like the fuzzy in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where uh, that's where a lot of art of it comes into. So there we're doing things like kind of provenance tracking. So if we can identify who is kind of pushing this stuff, then again, it's, it's not necessarily a matter of censorship, but before something gets promoted, maybe you, you the networks build in time to, to de- before it goes out. Or like if we say, hey, you know, this is stemming from a, like a like a hate group. Yep. Maybe people want that in a, in a little information report, like, hey, this thing you're talking about came from a, like a registered hate group. <laughs> you know. Maybe it feels a bit like moderation there, doesn't it? But uh, Sean, what did you want to sort of say from disaster tech and all your wealth of, you know, just experience and knowledge in this area? Sure. Well, we know that cyber actors are going to take the, the most basic Um, attack vectors like phishing, right? Mm -hmm. Especially with the new CARES Act. I mean, I'm a small business owner, as is Leo, and we have payroll to, uh, you know, to make. We have tax filings to make. And because of the CARES Act, which has provided a tremendous amount of liquidity, you know, and injection of stimulus into the market to provide small businesses like ours with with additional funds, uh, that provides an opportunity where bad actors will start to ramp up 
advanced persistent threats and phishing campaigns to exploit those businesses who may be less familiar how to navigate, you know, the Small Business Administration or navigate federal funding and loans to be able to work through this crisis and to ensure that their businesses stay open. You know, at the end of the day, they just want to continue their business. They want to keep employees employed and not crash the economy into oblivion. So, so bad actors, we know it's not just about misinformation as it relates to clinical or medical countermeasures. It's also misinformation in crime, um, which we normally see on day to day in blue skies, irrespective of a pandemic, you know, malware, ransomware attacks, taking advantage of not only the most vulnerable, just really anybody. I don't know how many emails you get on a daily basis, but it can be difficult if you don't have the spam filters. Even if you have them, stuff gets yep. through the crack. Mm-hmm. And what seems innocuous or even credible, uh, one click and then you know you're off to the races with you know the rabbit hole of stolen credentials or, or otherwise. So this this is not only related, and the work that we're building is is relevant for coronavirus, but really all hazards. And this is where with Project Domino, we're looking to sustain and scale the capabilities beyond the coronavirus pandemic, but to future disasters and future crisis where we can leverage this in an earthquake, in the next pandemic, in a hurricane. Every single time we go through this, you know, when I was assigned to the National Response Coordination Center uh, during hurricanes Irma, Maria, and Harvey, we had a a rumor control page on FEMA.gov. But who's actually going to FEMA.gov to see what rumors are there and, and what's true or not? Very little people, uh, you know, if you poll the American public, how many folks have actually gone to FEMA.gov? It's very low. So we need to be able to meet folks where they are, right? They're in these social networks. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? So, actually, so, so I think that's um, kind of the counterintuitive thing for, about the project. And mm-hmm. I think... A lot of people are focusing on, and including us, on the misinformation aspect. Um, for, for us, that's actually a warm-up. Like we, we, like, we think that's really important, and, and that's why we're one of the reasons we're starting with it. But, uh, but another reason is, and I think the FEMA case is a good example, where the reality is there's, it's not just about stopping the bad stuff, but if we actually want to affect change, it's, it's actually, we actually don't need to just stop the bad stuff. We have, there's actually specific messages we do need to get out. And, and a lot of this is actually building up the, the data layers and data capabilities to actually push on that side of the mission. Um, and and that, that's, a, that's harder to do, but that's longer term, I think, uh, one of the bigger things going on here. You're absolutely right. And if you look at the Federal Emergency Management Agency's strategic uh, set of strategic goals that they set out in 2017, they have three pillars. And the first is building a culture of preparedness, right? Which I like to say is we need to increase risk literacy. We need mm-hmm. to increase the literacy of the public right. to understand what is true or false, what is scientifically relevant, what, what has high evidence. And so in, in order for us to have a culture of preparedness, well, culture it stems, the underpinning of that is behavior. And changing behavior to understand what is credible, what is right, and what is authoritative is essential for us to have any demonstrated benefit to the community. So yes, I completely agree with Leo. Misinformation right. is really just a ramp up to understand what is propagating out there from a from you know a bad actor perspective and from an adversarial perspective. But really, it's about introducing information, increasing risk literacy, so we can have a true culture of preparedness, so that 
the next event, the next uh, disaster, mm -hmm. we have a community, we have a public who's informed, that understands what's credible and authoritative information, and that will take the best actions to maybe the next time flatten the curve even faster. Yeah, this already so much i don't want to call it sensationalism i mean everyone has their point of view and um you know the, the challenges what what are you finding the challenges are i mean i've got project domino can i just you know shout out the blurb here about what that is so scaling covid public behavior change and anti misinformation um with initial interventions so what you already talked about identifying and alerting on Twitter misinformation around unsafe things like medicines, scams, and who's pumping them. So this whole Neo 4J hackathon, you know, using GPUs, graph deep learning, Twitter firehose, and more. And any anything specifically to Project Domino you want to sort of help us. Um, you know, understand. You mean it in terms of uh, the technology or, or the mission? Just want to make sure I got the question. Well, right. What excites you? What excites you about this specifically? Yeah, like so. For me, like it's uh, two sides. One is uh, as the as a technologist. It's uh, and and the other is just more as like someone trying to affect change. So uh, probably Sean has more on the latter, but on 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 the former. What's basically, this would just be sort of like unthinkable uh, years ago, but basically what we're trying to really do technology, in terms of technology, is basically build a, a discourse graph that merges public conversation, um, stuff that's getting amplified, and merges that with um, kind of data sources that's, uh, we're, we're actually kind of taking a bit of a threat intelligence uh, perspective mm. and right. security and fraud. So merging that with other data sources um, so what's kind of wild about that from a technology side, one that, you know, that's, that's just hard data. That's like high dimensional. It's a lot of connectivity, a lot of correlation. But the way we're doing it is, is interesting where one is we're just trying to keep it as much as we can entirely in, in GPU memory. Um, so we are, we are using Neo4j as sort of kind of a general database, but then a lot of it is about actually how do we go from that into actually pure in GPU memory so we can do, you know, can you do in seconds computations over the entire world's discourse graph around COVID? Like we take right. the COVID Twitter graph and just do like do things. Um, and then likewise, the world of neural networks kind of, I feel like a lot of good stuff happened over the last maybe 10 years, five, 10 years about in the perception world. But uh, while pixel grids are interesting, a lot of the interesting AI stuff is actually, if you think about hard AI and kind of how do you get to that next level it's kind of perception sort of it's not been solved but it's been kind of solved right while if you want to kind of look at what's going on in the ai worlds um uh, the hard thing is now more about uh, structure it's more about reasoning kind of higher higher level uh think about synthesis for programs and logic and kind of graph actually is kind of one of those things if you look at google's DeepMind team a lot of their recent papers are about actually you know a graph structure and kind of relational and again can you move from sentences to programs, right? That's very powerful in terms of what AI can do. And if you look at what Project Domino is trying to tackle and actually a lot of graph street stuff, it actually is that graph structure. Um, and so th that part, uh, kind of the exciting thing for the project is we now have a lot of that like GPU infrastructures in place. Uh, we have uh, the data has been flowing, we've been collecting it. 
And now we're kind of moving on a, a lot more of the Analytica level initiatives, kind of a lot of data projects. You have to start with that uh, data plane. But, but kind of going back to the kind of your question about like, what am I excited about technically? I'm like, basically we're at the front of how to do some of the best data science. Like we're doing, you know, full full end-to-end -end GPU, not just for deep learning, but end-to-end -end, where we actually have the graph stuff in there. We have the data in there. What's, and now we're kind of moving on to, okay, let's do particular, uh, particular high dimensional analyses. And then also what's kind of a, a, uh, the other challenging component to us here on just pure technology is, um, I think like a lot of folks, especially if you haven't been in big enterprise, big production settings, you don't really understand the time scales involved. So like you kind of get a notion that things need to be big, but actually it's reality is not that big, which fit in GP memory or multi GP memory, but actually timely. So kind of the big trick with misinformation and actually getting positive information is for misinformation. It's about from the time of a tweet going to the fire hose, how fast can we kind of figure it out and, and get an auto response to the relevant parties. And then for the side of positive information, that's a lot squishier. So how, like, as like, for example, one of our colleagues on uh, Jeremy who runs uh, fast AI, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware of, uh, he started the initiative or he's been a big name in the initiative uh, for masks for all. Oh, um, okay, great. And, and, uh, and for masks for all, like uh, one of the things we we're kind of banding about here was like, well, he's probably getting the message out to some people, but um, in the US, I'm, I'm guessing half the country, especially let's say the Republican half probably doesn't care. And that's a lot of people, you know, and like, you know, my friends that are, are doctors in their hospitals. So mm. like, what do we like? So if we want to kind of understand where it's working, where it's not working, how do we get help on maybe medical professionals, uh, governor officials get the word out? Like it's one thing for a governor to make a policy, mm. but to actually take local action there's other tools yeah no the global health messaging beyond partisanship it's it's quite the challenge to figure out and i guess this is where leadership counts you see different countries dealing with this in different ways but i think we're getting off topic um sean was there something you wanted to chime in on your collaboration here uh with leo and um project domino I think we talked earlier about, you know, needs you may have and our community of a lot of data scientists um, who follow and are part of humanitarian AI meetup. Is there something you wanted to share there? That'd be really great to hear about. Yes. First, for your listeners, go to projectdomino.org. Mm -hmm. We are seeking volunteers. Great. Thanks. We are seeking funding. Okay. To sustain, this is primarily, I want to say primarily, ma the majority of our efforts are volunteer, uh, both from the hardware uh, to the data science work and all of the efforts being put into this, you know, whether it's a policy side or a technology side, this is volunteer. So it, you know, we do not want this to die in the vine. We do not want this to be a COVID coalition of the willing. Everybody came together solve a really hard challenge and then the curve flattens and the other thing that flattens is this initiative right so we want this to sustain beyond covid because what we're building will have absolute benefit to future crisis the absolutely yep adversaries and bad actors will exploit vulnerable situations and people who are vulnerable in crisis so we know this will happen. This has happened before. This is not novel to humanity, right? We've, people have exploited each other for 
eons since basically the beginning of time. They just have new tools and new new infrastructure, new cyber infrastructure in this case to do so. So right. projectdomino.org, visit there. And also I think we should reflect on too, you know, Leo and I came together, not just related to this particular crisis, mm. but where graph analytics has a lot of tremendous benefit is mapping out and understanding complex system interdependence. One of the things that we've challenged with, and we've been challenged with as a society, for example, if we had a catastrophic power outage or even something that's planned like these public safety outages in California, where Pacific Gas and Electric are shutting off the power sort of without really any consequence, right? No recourse. And they're shutting off the power, which then is affecting water systems, health systems other power systems, distribution, transmission, et cetera. And for us to really understand society, how those single events create cascading effects to other systems, that's where I think graph analytics has tremendous benefit and potential to really understand risks within our overall global system. I mean, we're looking at right now, protective equipment, masks, ventilators, dialysis machines, the entire complexity of supply chains, particularly with just in time. In the world we live in today, everyone expects Amazon to show up to the doorstep with your, with your Amazon Prime account to be there within 15 minutes. The fact is that this is, this is an hourglass, right? You have the hourglass effect, everything being pushed to a bottleneck and then being mm -hmm. pushed out. When that bottleneck fails, the entire system collapses. And so we're seeing in real time with, with respect mm -hmm. to this pandemic, how fragile these supply chains are. And I'm convinced and, and I believe that graph analytics uh, and graph databases have tremendous potential in trying to resolve and understand supply chain complexity and then allowing policymakers to make the right types of investment to reduce the risk uh, to our global supply chain. So in the next pandemic or earthquake or whatever the case may be, we don't have these types of system shocks that creates the next global recession right yeah, so, so it's a great challenge to overcome and and well put thanks so much um so sorry leo what were you gonna oh yeah so so yeah full, full on with sean on um mm. yeah projectdomino.org volunteers welcome um uh, financial support definitely the help us keep lights on and, and actually and i think any humanitarian effort i think it's good to especially for data and technology to think about how does this keep going for the next one? Because there are similarities around data uh, intervention types, things like that. For, for Domino in particular, um, the other area that I think uh, folks might be able to contribute to is actually data. And, and so um, anything to do with URLs, communications, things like that, threat in, like if you're coming from the security fraud world, there's a lot of good stuff there. Probably mm -hmm. things we're not thinking about. The, another one is, so basically, I think we're ready for uh, a lot of getting basically actually onboarding data scientists now that we're basically have our, a lot of our data infrastructure kind of uh, running. And then actually the, the weird one is, and I, I didn't expect this going to the project, is uh, public policy and lawyers where we want to make sure we're doing stuff right. When we are pushing out a positive information, we want to make sure we're doing it correctly, things like that. And I think that was a good that one. Yes, so much. And Thanks so much. This this has been amazing. The hackathon bringing everyone together here to Neo 4J's Graphs for Good hackathon. Sean, this has been so insightful and amazing talking to you. Thanks for letting us interview you. And Leo, likewise, great speaking with you. 
This wraps up another episode of Humanitarian AI Today.